0: All right. Well, we are this evening on session five. This one is actually called Beloved. Beloved, we are in Ephesians one. Just to recorrect the verse there, Ephesians one eighteen and three seventeen to nineteen. With a long day. It was a great time today. Um, well, from this morning, just to recap where where we are, where we've come a bit. We learned this morning that we are not just corrupt, but that corruption leads to guilt. Corruption would be horizontal, guilt is uh, vertical, and we saw the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was our substitute. Now on the cross, he satisfied God's wrath, he satisfied God's justice, so that anyone who trusts in him would be declared righteous actually really righteous before God. He gives us that the new standing from detention to the honor roll. And we have not done anything to earn this. We could not do anything forever to, to deserve this. It is a free gift. It is given to us by faith. And this gift of the gospel resolves all of our legitimate fears, the fears that we should have. Um, And we now, because of this, we have peace with God, and we stand in grace. He calls us righteous. He looks at us, and he sees someone who is righteous. He sees the righteousness of Christ, and no one can overturn his ruling. So where do we go from here? Well, from there, we want to go one step further, and we find that we are not just right with God, We're not just at peace with God, we are actually God's beloved. We are beloved by God. And this is now, as we've been making our journey, if you remember, our hike up to the peak of the mountain, before we're going to jump off with the squirrel suits. um, We've reached the peak that we've been marching towards. The love of God for us in Christ. This is the mountain peak, this is the bedrock that is going to support the entirety of your life. This is the roots. These are, this is the roots that your life is to be uh, built in, that support, stabilize, and give life to the grand oak or sunflower or cherry tree, whatever, whatever you want to be uh, for God's glory. The tree planted by the river, not the shrub, In the barren wasteland right that's still the image in our minds and this is the soil that those roots grow in okay this is the soil god created us in love in sin we spurned god's love god sent jesus to suffer in our place to give us a right standing because of god's love it all leads us here to the love of god okay so let's read together I'm going to read Ephesians 1 again. Verse, Let's read verses 17 and a bit from there. Verse 17, it says, Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And jump over, if you would, to chapter 3, verse 17. This is the second prayer in Ephesians. Paul again prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray once more together. O God in heaven, our Father, we come once more before you to, to plead for your help that you would use this time, you would use my measly words to try to help us understand these grand and glorious concepts and that you would be exalted. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, does anyone here like to be liked? Anyone? Does anyone here like to be disliked? No, you don't. You don't. You don't, actually. Uh, Everyone likes to be liked. Even the people that pretend they don't do so because they're afraid they're not going to be liked. Everyone likes to be liked. We all, God made us, with a deep desire to be loved, whether from parents, friends, spouse, children. And this desire, I want to say, is not wrong. I think this is evidence of the image of God, because he made us. This is part of the relational aspect we talked about of the image of God. He made us to be in relationships with him first and with with one another, to love one another. And he, he made us with the capacity to and the desire for love. And yet, we often take this good thing, this desire, and we turn it into a need. We turn it into a thing that I have to have, an unhealthy need. If you're familiar with the song, it's an old one, but uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Anyone? Anyone? There you go. There you go. That's the song. Uh, You can look it up. But it's it's what we do all the time. We're looking for love, but we we do so in the wrong places. And if you've listened to, to just about any music ever, or read maybe any book that's ever been written, you'll find that much of heartache in life comes from this doesn't it from love lost love sought, love lost is where so much so much heartache comes from in life because people really are looking in the wrong places which makes sense right from what we saw about sin what was sin sin is spurning god's love sin is exchanging the love of God, the glory of the immortal God for images. It's running away from the fountain of life and chasing after a leaky bucket, right? We think of ourselves sometimes this way. We sometimes describe ourselves like a cup. You may think of yourself like a little teacup that like needs to be filled. You maybe wouldn't say teacup, uh, chalice, something that needs to be filled with love before you can love other people. And you say, well, I I feel empty. I need to be be loved. I need to have my emotional needs met before I can care for other people. And that's not, I want to suggest to you tonight, that's that's not how we should think of ourselves. We should not think of ourselves as a a, a leaky teacup. (laughs) God intends for us to find our satisfaction in his love for us, not from other people. And, And some people, you might even take that the wrong way. I also want to make sure you don't hear me saying that God is like a cheerleader and God's like, you're great. I think you're just just the best. Uh, uh, You're you're amazing. Um, We shouldn't think of it that way. Like, oh, God loves me. God thinks I'm great. So it doesn't matter what other people think. That's not quite what I'm saying. I'm saying that rather rather we should be we should be having our eyes focused upon him. We're not reverting to a different kind of a leaky bucket, but finding our satisfaction in his love for us. So answering the question again, what does God think of me? Well, in Christ, he thinks of you as his beloved, his beloved. And God actually loves us. The point tonight that I want you to walk away with is that God actually loves us, and he means for us to be rooted in his love. He actually really loves us in Christ and he wants us to be rooted in his love. John Piper has rephrased the, the famous Westminster Catechism and he said the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The way we glorify God is by enjoying him, finding satisfaction in his love for us. I've read it before, but we'll read it again. John 15:9. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Hear that. The love that Jesus has for us is the same love the Father has for the Son. And then he says, abide in my love. Okay? So we're going to take this in three parts tonight. We're going to hear that we were blind. We are often blind towards God's love. We should be amazed at God's love. And we should be rooted in God's love. Okay? first is blind towards god's love read again ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 paul asks that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened he begins with a plea for god's help he says before we even start talking about the love of god i need to first ask that god would open The eyes of your heart strengthen you to comprehend this subject is that interesting Uh, he says please give them the spirit he said oh that's in verse 17 sorry that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him and then he says that he would open the eyes of your heart and so some some people hear this and they think well maybe maybe he's talking to unbelievers or maybe he's not They're not quite sure what what he means by this, because everyone who has believed in Jesus already has the Spirit, right? We we receive the Spirit the moment that we believe in Christ. And also, before we've believed in Christ, our eyes have already been opened. Otherwise, we wouldn't believe. (laughs) That happens before. But we should see these. He's actually, he is talking to believers. He already said so in verse 13, that they have already been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he's talking to these people who have believed, who have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and he says, I prayed that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The word spirit can sometimes be lowercase s, like attitude, but I don't know what an attitude of revelation means. I'm pretty sure this is a capital S, that give you the Spirit who reveals God's character to you. And this is not a re-giving of the Spirit. This is praying that they would experience the Spirit this way. That the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and they would experience the Spirit of God working in them in the giving of wisdom and in the revealing of God's character. They would have a growing understanding of who God is. A revealing of who God is. That that's similar to the second request here. That God would open the eyes of their hearts. I love this image. Did you know that? Did you know that your, your heart has eyes? I don't know if they taught you that in, in biology. I, I've, been, I've been told sometimes it's called real school here at TYG. In, in homeschool, we do teach this, by the way. Your, your heart has eyes, the Bible says so. so. So you got that going. But this is not our physical heart, obviously, that has eyes. He's talking about the core of who we are. The core of who we are, our self, our mind, our feelings, uh, that there's a thing inside of us that's blind to God's love. Blind to who God is. And we need God to open that understanding. And he, he goes on to list things that he wants us to understand. Three things, actually. Uh, but before he even goes there, he says, first, please, God, open their eyes. And we, we just, we don't believe it really, do we? That God loves us. We're so slow to believe it. God loves me? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. After all the things I've done? Yeah, right. After all the things he's put me through in life? I don't know if he loves me. Separate from all the good things I do in my life? I don't think so. I've earned it. But we need to rest in this. God loves me. He says so. And we're going to dive into that. But to really grasp it, we need God's help to steer away from our moralism, to keep our, keep our eyes fixed upon the gospel. We need eyes opened. So let's let's see what he wants our eyes opened to see. From verse 18, that you may know, hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of Of his power. There's three things, really. He lists three things he wants us to understand. The hope of his calling, the glorious inheritance that he has in the saints, and his his massive power at work. Just the first one, real quick, the hope in his calling. God has been planning this. God has been planning salvation from forever ago. Did you know that? Chapter 1, verse 4. It says, he chose us in Christ, Before the foundation of the world. Which ties into what we've been saying already. That he created the world so that he could create people in the world so that we could know him. This has been the plan from before there was a universe. That he would have a people that belonged to him. Before there was stars. Before there was earth. Before there was matter itself. He knew you by name. Chose you. Why? Verse 5, or the end of verse 4, in love. In love, he predestined us to adoption. Salvation is not a new plan, it's always been the plan. This is why there's a universe. And that's the first thing he wants us to know the hope of this calling. God's not changing his mind. It's not flippant. It's from forever ago. The second thing he wants us to know is the one I want us to spend the more of our time we're on. He says, "What are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints?" This is the second goal of the prayer. And I want to point out that it says God's inheritance. Did you note know that? This is not our inheritance. This is God's inheritance. This is not talking about, like, I got you a present, and one day I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be amazing. You'll have to wait. Uh, You're going to have your amazing inheritance one day. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that God has an inheritance. But what does that even mean? (laughs) God created everything. God owns everything. How can he possibly have an inheritance, like something in the future to gain? What would that be? What could that possibly be? The word inheritance, right, uh, in case you're not sure, inheritance is something of great value that you have to wait for until the time is right. You can think of it that way. An inheritance is something that is of great value that you have to wait to receive until the time is right. Usually it's a sad time. Usually it's when your parents die. Um, When they pass away, they pass on their belongings to you. but we don't need to stretch the meaning of the word that far, obviously. God has no parents that will die and pass him something. That's not what it means. It's just something that is of great value that he is waiting to take possession of. Your inheritance, you can think of it this way, is like the entirety of your parents' work entrusted to you. And inheritance is, are therefore, precious. Very precious. They are unique. They are irreplaceable. They are of great value. You all live in the Bay Area, so for you, this will be like a bag of peanuts. will be the inheritance that all your parents will be able to pass along to you. Hopefully, you'll get a bag of peanuts. Um, And so Paul says, though, that God's inheritance that he will receive is glorious. He has a glorious inheritance. Do you want to know what it is? Paul wants us to know what it is. He says, his inheritance is you. His inheritance is his people. Do you see it? He says, his glorious inheritance in the saints. The saints is another word for, it just means holy ones, right? It's it's not super Christians, like St. Francisco or, or whatever. All the ones that the Catholic Church named over time is like the super special people. The saints is always in the plural in the New Testament, and it is the people of God. The people of God set apart to belong to him as a holy people. So the people of God, believers in Jesus, the church, this is God's inheritance. And the prayer is that we would grasp the riches of God's inheritance. How amazing God views how much God loves his people. We could say it this way. The prayer is that we would understand how much God loves us. The prayer is that we would understand the great value that God has put on us, that we are his beloved children. We are his treasured possession. He delights in us. He rejoices over us. We are precious in his sight. He has placed great, great value on us. That's amazing, isn't it, that he views us that way. We are his glorious inheritance. And note this is not saying that he needs us. You might say, I always knew I was pretty special. (laughs) Even God thinks I'm amazing. That's not the lesson. You missed the point. Like, it went, went, it's way over there, and you're here. That's not the point. The point is that he loved us while we were enemies. He loved us while we were spurning his name. The point is that he set his love on us. Look at chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. We read this this section earlier, but Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Why did he make us alive together with Christ? Because of his great love which he had for us. That was why he did it. And this is just to cement the point home. He loved us at our worst. He saved us. And he, he made us alive because he loved us. love that he had for us from before the foundation of the world. And note, what did his love do? His love wasn't just a feeling that he had off on the side. His love led him to, to give also not to need his love didn't lead him to take a thing he wanted his love led him to give and to serve we can't help but but remember verse 7 chapter 1 verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood it was through his blood it was according to the riches of his grace his love was a love that gave to rescue his love was not needy, not demanding. It was giving. It was rescuing. We often think of love as a need that we have to receive, to fill our cup, right? Got to fill that teacup. But God's love is a fountain that gushes forward to love others, to fill others. And if you could turn with me real quick to, to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 just reminds us of this once again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Verse 2, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You ask, why did Jesus go to the cross? What what kept him going as he was enduring the cross? The joy set before him. Not the joy of that moment. That moment itself was not joyful. The joy set before him in the future of having a people that would belong to him. That was the joy that kept him going at the cross. It itself was the worst travesty of the world, but it accomplished his greatest joy. The joy of his inheritance. That he would rescue a people for God. Another great phrase that shows up over and over throughout the Bible. Uh, If you could turn to Revelation. Uh, Revelation 21, jumping to the end of the story, but there is this phrase that shows up over and over in the Bible, uh, that he says, he will be their God. We will be his people. He will be our God. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. It says it again here. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. We see that all the way back from Exodus 6 and just gets repeated again and again. They will be his people. He will be their God. They will be his people. He will be their God. And that is his great joy. That we are his people and, and he is our God. Back in Ephesians. Just uh, rattling off a few more passages here. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Oh, no. Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And we could just go on and on and on. Zephaniah 3.17 is a fun one. It says that he will exult over you with loud singing. God rejoices over you, brothers and sisters, with loud singing, not quiet singing, loud singing. And so rejoice in this. Be amazed. The point is that we should be amazed at this. Not to to turn it into performance, not to turn it into pride, but to be amazed at it. Also, not to spurn it. We talked earlier about spurning. Some of you might be sitting here and thinking, well, that's all nice and great. I actually don't really care. But remember, it is the goodness of God, the amazingness of his love that makes sin, sin. It is because God is so abundantly and amazingly gracious that makes rejecting this God so horrible. And so wrong. So as you hear these words and you find your heart feeling maybe cold towards them or like, whatever, I don't really care. Do not spurn him. That is a frightful choice to make. But it, we should instead be amazed. We should also be rooted in this love. OK, we have two goals for tonight. One is that I, I want to tell you that God loves you in Christ. Uh, in Christ, for real, I also want you to rejoice in this. We are to know that he loves us, and we are to rejoice in this. And I want us to see that in in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 17, we are rooted in God's love. This is point 3, rooted in God's love. And this may be obvious already that we're supposed to rejoice in it. The fact that he calls us an inheritance is already uh, that he treasures us. He says he wants our eyes to be opened to know this and that means not just like check got it this is a fact i'm going to add that to my repository of facts thank you for the new information but he wants us to really grasp it to really know it for real Uh, not just for knowledge he means us to find joy in it like jesus said abide abide in this love remain in it dwell in it so chapter three Verse 17, we are here in the second prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. It's interesting. He again starts out asking for help. Verse 16, we skipped that last time, but he says he asked that the Spirit would strengthen them uh, with power through his Spirit in their inner being. Again, we need strength to comprehend this, uh, but he prays that that they would understand this, and it goes on to talk about a similar thing. We already talked about this passage the first night, but we're going to want to dive a little bit deeper into it. And it's going to be weird because I'm going to go backwards. I hope that's okay. This is not normal, but we're going to go backwards through it, okay? We're going to start at verse 19. we start at the end. The end says, the goal, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you, this is actually the end, sorry, the latter half, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the conclusion. The conclusion of the prayer is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the ultimate end. And as this is a prayer for us recorded in the Bible, this is God's desire for us. God's desire for you in Christ is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Romans 8 says it this way, that you, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We should see those as the same thing. Coming to know Christ, knowing Jesus, is not just about getting out of hell. It's not like a ticket that gets you out of hell. It is about coming to really know God. It is about being tr- God then transforming us more and more to reflect him, to bear his image more and more clearly. He takes us as we were, freely by his grace, but then he doesn't leave us where we were. He changes us and he transforms us to be filled with all the fullness of God. What an amazing phrase, and it's hard to grasp exactly what that means, but we should think like the fullness of maturity. Fullness of maturity, resembling the image of Jesus. Someone filled with God's fullness does not bow to other people. Someone filled with God's fullness doesn't live their life to, to serve and to please people doesn't live in fear, doesn't live seeking acceptance from others, doesn't live habitually in sin, does not live ruled by temptations and ruled by desires. This is where we want to be. That's the end goal. How do we get to that end goal of maturity and fullness? Read verse 18. One step back in the prayer. Verse 18, that you would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length length and height and depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge and that is how we grow into his fullness by grasping his love for us it is as we grow in knowing the love of christ that we grow in god's fullness and he says like try to measure it try to measure it try to comprehend he just starts listing dimensions four of them Uh, There's not four dimensions, but he's just like throwing out words, breadth, length, height, depth. He just stops, (laughs) doesn't really even finish that thought. He's just trying to describe for us that it's measureless. It cannot be fully known. And he says it's even surpassing knowledge. He wants us to know the surpassing knowledge love of Christ, even though it cannot be fully known. And just thinking about that a few different ways, the love of God surpasses knowledge because it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about understanding it intellectually. He desires us to know it personally, to know it intimately, to know his love experientially. He wants the eyes of our hearts to grasp it, not just our brains. He wants us to be changed by it. The love of God surpasses knowledge because God himself is infinite. And there's no way that we can only that we can fully understand God because God is God. And we are not. We are limited. We think we know what it means to say God loves me, but we are like children watching their dad work, and like, oh, I see what you're doing up there. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> or like elementary school students listening to Einstein lecture about physics. They're like, oh, I see There's planets and things. And we we see a small we see a small tiny view of the love of God. God stoops low to communicate with us. We see as in a mirror, dimly, like through a foggy mirror, foggy car window. God's love surpasses knowledge also because it never ends. It will never be fully known because God himself will never stop loving us. He will never stop loving us. Look at chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 7 Paul says that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. It's like a preview there in verse 7 of what heaven will be. That throughout the ages, as the ages roll on unto eternity, God will continue to show how great his love is towards us we will be diving deeper and deeper through all eternity into understanding how great, how amazing is his love towards us. There's a hymn, The Love of God. It has a verse that goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. So his love towards us is endless. And one step back from that. How do, how do we grow in comprehending his love for us? Verse 16. Sorry, verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love. So going forward then, as we are rooted and grounded in love, we comprehend his love more deeply. As we comprehend his love more deeply, we are filled with all the fullness of God. We grow into maturity. We live life as he he called us to. And so it all starts here, being rooted and grounded in love, which is something that's true of us. It is actually already true of us who have believed in him. Uh, But it's also something that can grow. It's something that should be more and more established in your life, to identify the ways that we're rooted in other things and to realize, no, we need to be rooted in Christ. And he says, may I add, He says, we do this with all the saints, with all the saints. Uh, We are his inheritance, not you, not me. Individually, we are his inheritance. The people of God is his inheritance. And it's together with all the saints that we strive to know his love. And so the point is that this happens in community. This happens in the church, not as a lone ranger. So do you see yourself as belonging to the church or as just a lone lone ranger off on the side or as like a member of the body? And also, not just TYG, may I say, but the church. TYG is part of the church. And there's a larger generational context to be part of as part of the whole body of Christ. Young and old, different kinds of people all united together together by the blood of Jesus is the church and it's together with all the saints that we grow in comprehending and knowing Christ. More. So know his love for you, rejoice in his love for you and build your life on his love for you. My question for you tonight is, do you know Jesus this way? Do you know Jesus this way? Is your life rooted and grounded in his love? Are you abiding in in his love are you the shrub in the parched land or the tree firmly rooted by the river is christ dwelling in your hearts by faith does your heart yearn with paul here to say i want to grow in my grasp of his love my heart is so weak because otherwise the Bible, or as the song goes all other all other ground is sinking sand Apart from this, friend, your life will be rootless. Apart, unmoored, unseparated from his love for you, our lives are are rootless, groundless. You'll be tossed to and fro by the waves, by the winds. You'll drift at life. You'll drift at sea in life. Not rooted in God's love. We will seek love from others to satisfy you, and they won't. They won't. They will disappoint you and you will always come up empty or you might say i will never find love i will never find acceptance and dive deep into despair and loneliness you might say my past has scarred me and i can never be whole i can never be at peace but you can on christ the solid rock we stand our life can be firmly rooted in him it provides the strong and firm ground for your life it frees you it frees you friends from chasing after people chasing after events events chasing after belonging for other people to fill you because he intends to so friends stop seeking after leaky buckets they're leaky he is the fountain of life central to to sin itself is that we exchanged his glory For images for for other things that we seek after other people and we find ourselves running on empty love tanks with a leak. and the answer again is not God's your cheerleader you're great you're actually amazing to prop up your view of yourself that's not the answer the answer is to see even when I was at my lowest God loved me the gospel doesn't make ourselves feel good about ourselves as much as it makes us amazed at God's goodness towards us. I want to close with with John. If we could turn to John chapter 15. That as, as we find ourselves more and more immersed in his love for us, that we, he now calls us to love others. John 15, verses 9 through 11. He says there, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments... And abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Dear God, we we thank you for your word. We feel that words fall so far short in trying to grasp, trying to explain, trying to comprehend the vastness of your great love for us. Father, we pray that you would help us all to be rooted and grounded in love, to together, as the church, to to seek after you, to grasp what is the length and height and depth and breadth, to know your love that surpasses knowledge, so that we would grow, that we would bear fruits, and that we would bring honor and glory to your name in this world. And we ask,